Here we are in Exodus 32. There's a lot going on in here, so it took me a while to get through, get through it. Um, I guess we'll see how much of this I talk about, how much I just read through. Okay, so this is the golden calf. Moses has been up on the mountain for 47 days. Um, 40 days um, with Yahweh and seven either also with Yahweh up on the mountain in preparation to going up there, or um, the seven days was with all of the elders eating that feast with Aaron and uh, and others. There were 70 of them up there. Also, Joshua's up there. Uh, Joshua stayed up there. We'll still see him in a minute. But apparently the other elders went back down without Moses because Aaron's down there and he's watching over the people, which is good. They need some kind of leadership. We'll get there. So Moses delayed, so they gathered around Aaron and it said, Make us an Elohim, or make us Elohim plural. So make us a god, or gods. And Aaron told them to take the gold rings, and he he fashioned them into a calf using an engraving tool. So I, I looked that up a little bit, um, and and then later on, when, when Moses confronts him, he, they, they use another phrase. And so there's two things that he did. Um, initially, I was thinking, like, what? if you're using an engraving tool to make an image of a calf, then wouldn't it have to be flat? Like, if you're engraving it, then it's like a, a flat calf. But um, he was actually engraving a mold. So later they, they talk about um, this, uh, a pouring out. So it's, um, Yahweh says, don't. Don't do a pouring out offering or a drink offering to anybody else. Do them to me. And there's this phrase. Let's see, where is it? Um, right there. Um, molten, so a, a drink offering, or a, apparently there's an English word for it, uh, libation. And it's actually the, the root word. It's connected to, so the, the pouring out is related to the word for a molten metal or cast metal image. So... He, he made a molten cast. So he carved out a cast and poured the, the molten metal into this cast and then used an engraving tool to touch it up. So I thought that was cool. But it's, it's, very, it's related to a pouring out offering. And so that's what they made. And then they said, These are your Elohim, Israel. And when Aaron saw it, he proclaimed a feast to Yahweh tomorrow. And so the next day, early in the morning, they got up, they made it, they, they, they made it going up, and they brought peace. These are translated as um, a burnt offering and a peace offering. They sat and they ate and they drank, and they rose to play. And so I've heard that this was like really like basically an orgy. Um, so I looked up this word to see if it's used other places. Not that there's a lot of orgies going on in the Bible, but um, the the word is laugh, laugh or play. And so it's translated as revelry or laughter. And somebody will tell you that it's used as caressing because there's one place where it says that um, when, let's see, who was it? Jacob and Rebecca, um, one of the kings saw Jacob and Rebecca and they were doing this thing. They were laughing, or they were uh, playing, or um, teasing. Um, they translated it as caressing. And so that's where they're like, aha, 
This guy's actually married. That's not his sister. And uh, so that's the only place it's used as caressing. Everywhere else it's laughter or playing. So it could be really bad. Uh, my guess is that it, because of the, the context, I mean, this is a, this is a drunken party celebrating a, um, celebrating a deity in the way that foreign deities were used to being celebrated, which was also with sexual stuff. So, yeah, public sexual carousing, laughter and revelry. So then Moses said, or sorry, uh, Yahweh said to Moses, go down at once. Your people who you brought up from Egypt have acted corruptly. I have seen them and they are stiff-necked. Um, leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them and I will make you into a great nation. So then Moses responded and Moses doesn't know what it was. So he can't see down that far. There's, there's still smoke on the mountain. Um, and his response is, why does your anger burn against your people that you brought up from Egypt? He turns it right back at him and says, whoa, 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 calm down. What is happening here? Um, these aren't my people that I brought out of Egypt. I didn't bring them up. You brought them out of Egypt. They are your people. Uh, what will the Egyptians say if you wipe them out? Um, they'll say that your intent was evil to kill them and wipe them out up in the mountains. Um, that's bad PR turn change your mind and so Yahweh changed his mind this thing gets a lot of people real upset because it messes with our neat categories of how God interacts with the world but you have to deal with this God does not fit into a nice neat little box he apparently can change his mind and the people that say he didn't have to do a lot of extra twisting to get there to say oh well he didn't this is just a test so he was just lying to Moses and trying to trick him no no that's not just read God works with people he works with people and people are fickle and do a lot of crazy stuff and God is kind and gracious and works with people and this is one way that he does it so Moses turned and he went down with the tablets inscribed on both sides. Interesting to throw in that detail right now. It doesn't seem like it's important at the moment, but apparently it was important enough to put in. Uh, so then Joshua, who is actually like the military commander and also Moses's aide, uh, Joshua heard the sound and he said, it's the sound of war in the camp. Classic. He's the war guy. And so he's like, oh, it's war. Let's go fight. And um, Moses and Moses responded with, nope, it's, uh, it's not the sound of sadness, and it's not the sound of war. Um, it's the sound of singing that I hear. And what's interesting is that there's this, this phrase, when uh, Yahweh was mad, um, let my anger burn against them. So it's um, hot nostrils. And so um, Moses turned Yahweh's hot anger away, and then when he actually saw what the Israelites were doing, he became hot with angle, anger. His, he, he became hot of nostrils. And so I think it's interesting that Moses, he interceded for the people. He, he turned away God's anger before he even saw it. What if he had actually seen what the people were doing? Would he have defended them? Would he have 
stood with them, or would he have agreed with Yahweh and said, "No, wipe them out"? That's this is this is beyond uh, reconciliation. Um, and so Moses came down and he saw the calf and the dancing, and enraged, he smashed the tablets into pieces, like he literally broke them into pieces, which you watch the movie he just like threw him down on the ground but it seems like it was a lot more than that like it seems like he actually like broke it up into small pieces not just like throw him once and then he took the calf and he burned it and he ground it up and he sprinkled it over the water and then he forced them to drink it what's interesting about that is that um the side note here on faces so um, when the Israelites told Aaron to build this calf, they said, we want you to make this Elohim that will go before us. So that will uh, literally to walk as our, to walk as a face or as our face. And so um, this was to be the face of Israel, which makes sense. That's a, that English translation makes sense. I'm not sure why they didn't use something like that, but to go before us is fine. Um, and so instead of having Yahweh be their face, the one that goes before them, the one that represents them, they chose to make this this thing. And so what Moses did was he burned it, he crushed it up, ground it into a powder, and he sprinkled it over the face of the water. And the water is, is the thing that they were saved from. It was there, it was a, for them, it was a symbol of their, um, their salvation. That Yahweh saved them through the waters. And so the face of the waters, they now have to drink the waters um, because they tried to replace the face of Yahweh on them with the face of this weak bull. Um, yeah, because this was a, um, why a bull? Because the, the Canaanites and the Egyptians both had gods that were bulls. And so they took the bull and they made a safer version of it to be their face, a, ma a more manageable version. Uh, because a calf is something that a child can lead. A bull is not. Oh, let's see. Made him drink it. Ah, and then he confronted Aaron. This confrontation still confuses me. I... Seems like Aaron should be a lot more culpable for this than, than happened. Also, where's the other leaders? Like, it's just Aaron. And her, like, Aaron and her were the two guys that Moses in charge where is her in all of this so moses confronted aaron um what did they do to make you lead them into such a grave sin or such a serious sin um it's the same word as sin offering right there because it is just sin um so another translation would be um on their account you brought a great sin offering or you brought on them an enormous wrong and Aaron says, don't get mad. You know that these people are intent on evil. They said to make them a god, and so I took their gold, threw it in a fire, and out came this calf. <sighs> so, it's interesting here is that that's a pretty strong echo. So he says, you know that the people are set on evil. And that's actually a really strong echo of Genesis 8, uh, 21, right after the flood. Yahweh says, all right, I'm, I'm, I smell this uh, peace offering, this aroma that 
Moses, or Moses, <laughs> Noah is burning, and so he is appeased, and he says, the the framework and the purposes of mankind's heart is on evil from their youth. Therefore, I will not destroy them again. Which seems like you take the wrong, you know, the opposite of like, they're always set on evil, maybe I should just finish them now. But no, his response is, is of gentleness and kindness, and uh, providing opportunity for new growth. Another interesting thing is, um, I don't know, we'll leave that till later. So, out came the calf. So Moses saw that the people were out of control, that Moses, that Aaron had not restrained them. And so, it's the same word there, out of control and unrestrained. And, and then something odd happens. Um, well, let's see, what order should I do this in? So this unrestrained thing, it bothered me a bit, um, because I looked at the word there, and, and the word is to let alone, to let loose, to remove restraint, uh, to neglect, which all fit. But it's also the word for lead, or leader, or to lead, like like a king. And I was, I just, I got stuck on that. And so I spent a good bit of time looking at all these examples, and and um, it took me a while to, to reconcile those two concepts. And then for some reason it just clicked. Um, to be a leader is to be the one that is either has no restraint or has less restraint. The only restraint on a dictator is their self-restraint. And so I'm, I've just been so used to a, uh, the you know, leadership within you know, the smaller contexts that it's not unrestraint. You're quite restrained as a leader in, in modern contexts, especially like working within a company. But a leader can do whatever they want with their company or with their country or with their kingdom. They are the one without restraint. It is their job to impose, encourage, and to build restraint in their people. So they are supposed to be building self-restraint in themselves and to, and to enforce and to put restraint on others for their good. And that's what a leader does. A leader is the unrestrained one who has self-restraint to add safety in restraint on the people that they are in charge of. Which is interesting because we, um, especially in America with this, such a, a self-focused and um, individualistic focus, we have this idea that, oh, nobody should restrain anybody. Like, it's, I should, you should just do whatever you want. But that's not true. And, and you don't actually believe that. You just don't want to be the one restrained. Everybody wants to be the unrestrained one. But that does not work out well. What happens is people end up hurting people. A lot. In a lot of different, very dangerous ways. And so, the, I mean, the answer to that is self-restraint. It is putting yourself under the authority of Yahweh, of God. And that's really hard for people, to humbly come under the authority of someone else. But that's what we're supposed to do at every level. Even the greatest, you know, the greatest kings, most powerful dictators are under the authority of God. And they can either be unrestrained 
and use that to their own advantage, or they can help restrain those under them to do what is good and just and right. So I just it took me a while to figure out the, that connection between those those two pieces of this, which as I explained, it makes it sound really simple. But when I was first reading it, I was like, these don't these don't match at all. So um, Moses saw that the people were unrestrained because Aaron had not restrained them. And so they were completely out of control. Out of control is the phrase used in a few translations here. And so he stood at the entrance and he said, whoever is with Yahweh to me. And the Levites gathered. And he said, fasten on your swords and go from entrance to entrance and kill your brother, companion, and neighbor. And 3,000 fell that day. And that's hard to read. I was listening to a, a, a Bible Project podcast on the character of God, and they were talking about God's anger and judgment. And one of the things that they talked about, which is interesting that I read that this morning, um, or I listened to it this morning as I was reading this this morning, and, and God's anger and judgment are typically a quickening of the natural consequences. He's allowing people to do what they wanted to do and speeding up the consequences. And I never thought of it that way. Um, which speeding up the consequences and just you know shortening the timeline actually is a mercy because it it shortens the total suffering. So this is what I, this is what Moses is doing to his people. This is not God's judgment. This is Moses's judgment. Moses quickens the consequences of um, the idol making by first off making them eat it because he knows that idol worshiping these idols will kill them, and this lack of restraint will kill them. And so he sends the Levites to kill the rebels, to kill the rebel leaders, to kill the ringleaders, to kill these unrestrained people who are killing all of Israel. And then he went back up to pay for their sin. That's the next thing that happens. He says, I will go up. Perhaps I will be able to pray to pay for your sin. And so then he went up and he said to Yahweh, if you would only forgive their sin. If not, please erase me from the book you have written. That's a, that's a lot of self-sacrifice right there. I also find it interesting that he went back up the mountain. Like, I don't know, I, I probably would not want to leave those people alone again, especially under Aaron's care. Yahweh's response to him is, Whoever has sinned against me, I will erase. Now go, lead. My agent will go with you, or my angel, my messenger. I like agent. We talked about that earlier. Um, and Yahweh uh, says, so the translation is, inflicted a plague on Israel. Um, but if we, so let's take a look at the literal here. So struck Yahweh the people on what they did with the calf. And so he basically, the the consequences of what they had done with the calf, he let them experience those consequences. So the natural consequences sped up. And so there was a plague there, and I don't think it actually says how many people died from the plague. 
So, that's the chapter. And uh, I was, this is going to be a long one. So, I told you there's a lot in this. Um, so, when I first went through this, I was, I was struck by the consequences of sin and, and how God has visited sin, on, or visited um, pain on people, especially in the form of plague, as a result of turning away, as a result of rebellion, as a result of um, not sticking up for those who are um, on the outskirts of society. Uh, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, those who are those who are rejected by and hurt by society. God defends those and oftentimes will inflict a plague on a, on especially on Israel because he has this covenant relationship with them. And and that is supposed to lead to repentance, turning, turning back to Yahweh. And I haven't seen a, I've seen some of that in this country, but not a whole lot of it. And I think that that's the proper response to a plague in the land. In fact, um, I, I thought, you know, maybe fasting. This is um, as a form of repentance, not as a asking God to give us something, but just in grief. And so I, I looked up to see, is, is this a thing that we as a country have ever done? And turns out Abraham Lincoln, actually, with the approval of the Senate and the House, let's see, who was it? Um, um, yeah, the Senate of the United States and the Supreme, um, recognizing the supreme authority and just government of the Almighty God in the affairs of the men of, the, of this nation has by resolution requested the president and uh, to designate uh, and set apart a day of national prayer and humiliation. And so they set apart a national fasting day to be April, what was it? It was April 30th, I think. It's in here somewhere. Um, so that he, he, he proclaimed a day of national fasting to, to say, hey, we need to humble ourselves and focus back on God. We are destroying ourselves and our nation. We have no one to blame for it but ourselves. And we need to turn back to God and humbly put ourselves before him. I think we find ourselves in that place again. I'm gonna take a quick look here. I think I covered all these in line. The, so I've got my Hebrew reading notes. This time I think I tried to scatter them as we were talking. So we talked about faces talked about molten uh, calf we talked about Aaron Aaron's answer and uh, its echo of Genesis um, talked about leadership and restraint and we talked about uh, anger and judgment as the quickening of natural consequences yeah I'll cover it more next time <laughs>